0: Father, I pray for Rudgy. I pray, Lord, that his words would pierce to the heart. Lord, we come here with many layers of interference between us and you. And I just pray that your word would do what you've said it would do, which is to achieve everything. It would not return to you empty. That it would be like a a fire, like a hammer that breaks a rock in pieces. And that we would go away softened, more open to the power of your spirit more open, O oh Lord, to your teaching. You, are, you, you want to teach each one of us today, and I just pray that we'll be open to that. Remove distractions from our minds. Help us to hear your truth. And bless Raji as he preaches to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're preaching through Revelation um, as a preaching team. We're up to chapter 17, as Adrian has said. But I also want you to, if you're going to go over to 17, also mark chapter 13 in your Bible, because we'll be going back there at one point. So Revelation 17 is the main text, but also 13. Uh, before we start, I should also remind you all that we're doing uh, the Revelation series with four key principles in mind as we prepare our messages. And I'll just quickly run through those. Number one, we want to do the words of Revelation. As the uh, memory verse said, blessed is he who hears and does the words of this prophecy. Uh, number two, we want to rely on the Holy Spirit to know and do the words. Um, number three is interesting. We don't want to underinterpret or over interpret the words and essentially what that means is that we don't want to hang ourselves on one interpretation and go this is the only one that's possibly true because this book is prophetic it's stuff that hasn't happened most of it so to say we know exactly what is going to happen might be a little bit arrogant and the worst thing about it is it can make us a bit argumentative and we can miss the practical application which is really important because the whole Bible is there to be lived to be done not just to be heard and finally, the fourth one is we want to seek meanings from other parts of the Bible for our interpretation. So, that's how we each prepare our messages. Uh, so, first question. Beast. What's the first thing that came to mind as I said the word beast? Dragon. Dragon. Good. Anyone else? Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast. Yep. <laughs> what else? Bull. Bull. Yep. Something to be afraid of. Something to be afraid of. Yep good 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 sorry mean big, and ugly. mean big and ugly like me awesome um second question you hear the term mother of prostitutes what's the first thing that comes to mind not nice <laughs> what else I mean I've I know we've some of us have heard mother of dragons thanks to Game of Thrones becoming popular but mother of prostitutes this has kind of a dirty ring to it doesn't it First thought that popped into your head when you heard that, is he allowed to say that in church? (laughs) Might have been that, it's okay. I'll keep going. Uh, Appreciate your interaction, so there will be more questions throughout, and if you're brave, feel free to answer. I'm not going to be shaming anybody. Let me just pray, and then we will read the passage. So, Almighty God, thank you for being here with us this morning. We come before you in humility and in awe of your awesome, immense power. We praise you for loving us when we are unlovable. Jesus, we thank you for your willingness to do whatever it took to provide a way for us to come back into relationship with God, taking the crimes that we committed so that we could be declared not guilty. And Holy Spirit, we ask that this morning you would open our hearts and minds so that we could hear the truth, the words that you have for us. Don't let me say anything that isn't from you. And if I have something that's coming from my own imagination, please blind the eyes and ears of the hearers so that they can only hear what you have for them amen okay so follow me in Revelation chapter 17 if you will <clears throat> starting in verse 1 oh, by the way I've got a bit of a throat cold so if I start hacking in the middle of it um, duck um, <laughs> Revelation chapter 17 one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me come I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There, I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones and pearls. She held a golden cup in her hand, filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name written on her forehead was a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides which has the seven heads and the ten horns the beast which you saw once was now is not and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction the inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world will be astonished when they see the beast because it once was now is not and yet will come this calls for a mind with wisdom The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits they are also seven kings five have fallen one is the other has not yet come but when he does come he must remain for only a little while the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king he belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction the ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be his called, chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, The waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages. The beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. The woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth. So, how's your gut feel after that? Burning and eating flesh and all kinds of messy stuff. On the surface, this seems to be a bit of a weird passage. Who is this woman? Why is she sitting on a beast in the middle of nowhere? Why is she drunk on blood? What on earth is going on? Maybe you're a bit more astute, and you've realized, as Adrian kind of hinted, that uh, the first part of the passage is painting a word picture, an analogy of sorts, a metaphor. And the second part basically explains the metaphor. That's essentially what's happening, and we'll see that as we go on. So pop back up to verse one with me. The first thing to notice about this passage is the timing. Those of you that have been through our Revelation series will recognize that here, the verse first references one of the seven angels who had one of the seven bowls of God's wrath comes to John. Uh, Chapter 15, the last one I preached, uh, talked about and introduced those seven angels with the seven bowls. And they said something interesting in 15 verse 1. Feel free to flick over or you can just keep following me. In 15 verse 1, they said that these were to be the last judgments, as in when they were completed the judgment of God would be fulfilled, completed, done. So that to me makes sense that what we're seeing here, this punishment of the, the mother of prostitutes, is happening during the time frame of those seven bowls judgments. I'm not gonna you know, stake my life on that because as I said, this is a prophecy. We can't know anything absolutely for sure about what these things mean. But I would say that this happens during the seven bowls judgments. <clears throat> The next thing to point out is that this woman is obviously not a literal flesh-and-blood woman. Have a look at some of the things that she does. It says there, uh, she has committed adultery with the kings of the earth. That's a tall order for even the most efficient of prostitutes. There's quite a few kings, aka rulers, running around on the earth today. Imagine trying to get around Trump and what's his face over in North Korea in the same day. That could be interesting. (laughs) Um, so this is obviously not a literal woman. Something else, it says that she has seduced all of the inhabitants of the earth. Not one woman could do that. So check out the name on her forehead if you need further proof in verse five. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, the abominations of all the earth. Could one woman actually be the mother of all the prostitutes? I mean no. It's impossible. So this is obviously a word picture, a metaphor, representing something else, not a literal flesh and blood woman. So who do you think she is? another question not rhetorical apostate church church. it's a good one what else other possibilities we're not told exactly so you can't get it wrong (laughs) could Could be seen in general yep A religious de facto false system. Nice segue. Uh, This is where our fourth guiding principle that I talked about earlier comes in handy. We want to seek meanings from other parts of the Word of God. The Bible is a grand narrative, a complete story. Think better than Game of Thrones, better than Lord of the Rings, better than the best thing you've ever read. Because it is spanning time, painting a picture of God's whole interaction, pursuit, romance of humanity. He's in the business of trying to save us. Um, but there's a bad side to it as well there's a nasty guy out there that doesn't want us to be saved, that doesn't want us to have a relationship with God Um, when Sarah was pregnant with our first daughter Abigail one of my sisters recommended that I read this book it was a novel involving a pregnant couple and so I said yeah yeah, sure sure I'll read it and I started reading and mm, the plot wasn't great but throughout the course of the book I started to get very sick of one word which kept appearing every time It talked about the pregnant lady. They used the word gravid, her gravid body, her gravid belly. It's like, oh, my goodness. Throughout the book, she didn't use the word pregnant once. I mean, just once could have been nice. It means the same thing. I got very sick of seeing the word gravid, but it taught me something about the author. She likes the word gravid, and she probably doesn't like the word pregnant. The Bible's the same. When there's a common author, you can start to look and see some of the common things that they do, using the same terms for the same kind of thing. So, look for other places in the Bible where a woman is used as a metaphor. The first one that comes to mind is Israel. It's called the wife of God. Multiple Old Testament prophets, but especially Jeremiah, Hosea, and Ezekiel, refer to Israel, the nation of Israel, as the wife of God. Obviously, a nation can't be a wife. Some of them are men. And how do you be a wife of God? (laughs) It's not a literal thing, again. It's talking about their worship of God. Their faith in God, their relationship through their belief. It's a faith system. Israel was unfaithful to God by chasing after other gods, committing evil deeds in the worship of idols. Some of them even burned their own children in worshiping other gods. Pretty gross stuff. We just dedicated a little girl to coming up, to bring her up in God's ways and supporting her family and doing that. Can you imagine a culture that burns their own children and calls it worship? That's terrible. And yet these people of God, this bride of God, did that at some points in their history. Ezekiel chapter 16 paints the picture especially well as God the Father describes his ravishing love of Israel and his vow to be faithful to them and restore them, even though they were unfaithful to him, because they ran off after other gods, after other idols. So the analogy of a wife not remaining faithful to her husband, a woman, is used to describe Israel's rejection of God and refusal to worship him. It's not a literal woman. It's a faith system, a belief structure. Second time, that the um, the common one that comes to mind is, in the New Testament, the true church of Jesus is often called the Bride of Christ. Um, Jesus did it himself, and especially Paul talked about it. Uh, The two passages I wanted to point you to are in Ephesians 5, 21 to 31, and 2 Corinthians 11, verse 2. I'm not going to read them out, but those are the ones, if you're listening later or you want to take notes now, where it talks specifically about the bride of christ being the church which we are part of if you're a christian here today a believer in jesus you're part of the church the bride of christ are you looking forward to having jesus for your husband bit of an interesting question um yeah i'm not (laughs) because but at the same time i am because i know it's not a physical thing it is a loving faith relationship we are part of the church the bride of christ And I like to think of the world today, while we wait for Jesus to return, as kind of like the engagement period. Jesus came, he set up the church, and he got engaged to them. Until he returns, we're still engaged. We have to be faithful to him. So we have to be obedient, we have to worship him, and we have to live our lives in readiness for his return. Just like a bride waiting to be married. She doesn't go around, you know, carrying on with other blokes until the engagement ends, and nor should we so we should remain faithful to Jesus so that's two different pictures in the Bible where a woman is used to represent a faith structure a belief system and I believe the same thing is going on here this woman this mother of prostitutes in uh, Revelation 17 is a congregation of sorts a false church a religious system that has seduced the inhabitants of earth away from God from the highest the Kings to the lowest there have been people that have been led astray She's called Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes and abominations. She is a faith system that seduces people away from God. Some will tell you she is the Roman Catholic Church. Others will tell you she is atheism or postmodernism or Buddhism or Islam. I don't think that she is any of them. I think she's all of them. I think she is any religious belief system that seduces mankind away from God. Even her name points to this Babylon of old. Was a city known for its indulgence in every kind of perversion, from sexual depravity to the worship of many different gods and whatever that entailed, whether it was, you know, just you know, chucking a cow in or chucking your kids in, the fire. Babylon did it all, and so she became the city became a kind of like a reference, sort of like when we talk about Sodom and Gomorrah, we're reminded of what happened to them because God judged them and burned them with fire from heaven. So John sees that her name is Babylon the Great, and he says her name is a mystery, which basically means that it's figurative or symbolic. She's not actually Babylon. Um, He does this once before in chapter 11, which we looked at about a month ago, um, about the two witnesses. Ben talked about them. In verse 8, John says that their bodies will lie in the public square of the great city, which is figuratively, or in some translations mysteriously, called Sodom and Egypt where also their Lord was crucified. So he's basically using the same language here. Mystery, figuratively, she's not actually Babylon, just like this was not actually Sodom or Egypt, because it says where their Lord also was crucified, and we all know that Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem, or just outside it, not Sodom or Egypt. So John links Jerusalem figuratively with those places, just as he links Babylon with this woman, figuratively, saying that just as bad as Babylon was, so is she, this religion. So, does that make sense? Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, she represents all the religions that deny God and seduce people away from Him. Okay with that? Good. Now, the next thing I want to draw your attention to is John's reaction. Look at verses 6 and 7 there. I saw the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. And the angel said to me, why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides which has the seven heads and the ten horns. Now I think this is interesting because only twice so far in Revelation has John recorded having a a big emotional response. He's seeing a vision, lots of stuff's happening, he sees some incredible stuff throughout Revelation and we're 17 chapters in. Twice before he's recorded having a big emotional response to this. The first one was in the very first chapter where he first sees the risen King Jesus and he collapsed at his feet in worship and he was told, do not be afraid. Then in Revelation 5, verses 4 and 5, he wept bitterly when there was no one found worthy to open the scroll. Once again, he was commanded, Do not weep, and he was shown that the lamb could open the scrolls. And here, for the third time, we see John having a massive emotional reaction to what he's seeing. He was filled with astonishment. But what exactly is he feeling? What do you think that word astonishment actually means? That wasn't rhetorical. Marvel or wonder? Good. If you were to use the word astonished about something, what would you mean? Shock, shock. Shock. Mm-hmm. Cool. What else? Or? Yep. Yeah, find it hard to believe. Disbelief. Yeah. I think it's any combination of those. But let me read to you a quote from uh, one commentator. 1908, a fellow called H.B. Sweet wrote, the seer, John, had been invited to see the downfall of Babylon. His only reference to Babylon would have been the physical city. The angel offered to show him her sentence executed. He expected to see a city in ruins. But instead of this, there had risen before him on the floor of the desert, a picture of a woman, gilded, jeweled, splendidly attired, desirable in every way, mounted on a scarlet monster and drunk with blood. It was a complete surprise, not at all what he was expecting. Who was this woman? The KJV, an old version of the Bible, says that John marvelled with great admiration. Astonishment, admiration, we're getting the picture of awe, confusion. What on earth is going on here? Now, there's another time that the word astonishment is used. It's actually in Revelation 13, 3 and 4. Some translations won't render it astonishment, but it's essentially the same word in Greek. So, if you want to go to Revelation 13, which I mentioned earlier, verses 3 and 4. So, just go back a few pages. And you'll recognize somebody from this passage, the Beast. He appears here too. And Revelation 13, 3 and 4 says, the whole world was astonished and followed the Beast. People worshiped the dragon because he had given authority to the Beast and they also worshiped the Beast and asked, who is like the Beast? Who can wage war against it? John used the same word for their astonishment as for his own. In the original, this astonishment is something close to worship. It's awe, it's wonder, it's amazement. It's almost like, wow, this, this person is amazing, incredible. It's almost worship. Not quite, but even he, the great apostle, is almost seduced by the false glory of this woman, this great religious harlot. That shows that this is no simple temptress we're dealing with here. This is incredibly seductive. This faith system that promises anything and everything to tempt him away from his Lord. But he doesn't give in. He doesn't cave in the angel steps in and demands why are you astonished I'll explain this mystery to you it's kinda of like what how dare you why would you even think that this person is worthy of worship or anything close to it I'll explain it to you just so you know <laughs> and what follows is pretty much exactly that an explanation of what he's seen so the next thing up is the beast what about this beast you sitting on we've seen this guy before as I said if you are still in Revelation 13 I'm going to take you through the first couple of verses. Now, Adrian took us through this whole chapter back at the start of June, which is a long time ago. Um, So we'll go through it. Revelation 13, 1-4. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads. Sound familiar? With ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. Uh Aha, so we have more detail here but he had feet like those of a bear and mouth like that of a lion. We don't get that in 17, but everything else is the same. So I think it's the same dude. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast, and they also worshipped the beast and said, who is like the beast, who can wage war against it? Flick back over to 17 with me. And you'll find it's pretty much the same guy. If you start down there, um, I think it's verse 3. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names. Yep. And had seven heads. Yep. And ten horns. Yep. So that's as much as we get about the beast there. But we get some more further down. So in verse 7. Why are you astonished? I'll explain to you the mystery of the woman and the beast she rides, which has the seven heads and ten horns. The beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth whose names have not been written in the Book of Life from the creation of the world will be astonished. Well, in 13 they were astonished when they saw the beast, because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This next bit is pretty tricky. It's a bit confusing. And it's no wonder that the angel says to John in verse 9, This calls for a mind with wisdom. (laughs) You've got to remember this angel is an immortal being. He's probably been around for the entirety of history and seen it all unfolding. He's seen the creation, he's seen the fall, he's seen the history of mankind, he's seen the cross, and now he's talking to John in this vision. So to him, he's seen it all unfold and it makes sense up to this point. So. But he recognises that John is a human being, has a finite mind, can't comprehend that kind of span of time, and probably, nor can we. So he tries to say, this might take some understanding, this calls for a mind with wisdom. In the angel's explanation, the seven heads are seven hills, but also seven kings. In other words, the seven heads of the beast are seven kingdoms, or political empires, seven states. If you like. If the mother of prostitutes is a false church, the seven kingdoms, the beast, is a false state, an apostate state, an atheist state, a state against God. It's a political structure. Five have fallen, one is and one is to come. So at the time of John's life, five of these heads of the beast had already fallen. Some will tell you that these were the Egyptian, Assyrian, Med, Persian, and Greek empires. Some will tell you there are other things. I'm not going to um, say there are any of those things for sure, because I simply don't know. But notice that back up at the start. I think it's at the very start. No, it's not. Anyway. The woman sits on all of the seven heads. Oh, sorry, it's right here. (laughs) I'm sorry, I lost my place. The seven heads are seven hills, but also seven kings on which the woman sits. Five have fallen, one is and one is to come. So she has already sat on, she's been around for the five that have fallen. And she's going to be around for the one that is to come. Once again, not a literal woman a faith structure, a belief system which has been prevalent for the five that have already happened and is still going to be around in the future. That's why I say I think it's any belief system that can tempt you away from God. So one is, five have fallen, one is and one is to come. So one was in power at the time of John's life, most likely the Roman Empire, and one is to come. Different interpretations will tell you that it's the Catholic Church, it's the rise of the Muslim world, it's... Uh, (laughs) Emperor Trump, and so on. Um, Again, I'm not going to tie myself to any one of those. But one is to come after John's life. The key thing to note about all of these is they're all political empires, and yet the woman sits on all of them. See that in verse 9. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are seven hills on which the woman sits. They are also seven kings. So she has been around, sitting on them, feeding off them, being supported by them, the whole time so this is an unholy marriage of church and state an apostate state and apostate church the beast who once was and now is not is an eighth king says verse 10 he encompasses all the others if you can imagine a beast has ten heads sorry seven heads um, the last one he belongs to the seven so he is the last one is going to his destruction but he's also One who was not, sorry, one who was, one who is not, and one who is to come. It gives a picture of has died, sorry, has been alive, has died, and has been resurrected, or has been in power, has been defeated and forgotten, and then has risen again. Whichever it is, this last head of the beast rises again to become the eighth king and encompasses all the others. He belongs to the seven. It says, so he's one of them. But the seventh head becomes the whole beast and continues to support the mother of prostitutes. She's writing the whole thing, the whole political empire. So once again, similar to her, I don't believe this is any one political empire. I don't believe we can put our finger on it. I think it is any state which has declared itself against God, any time throughout history. Because any state that declares itself against God always finds itself supporting a church or a false religion that is against God look at any dictatorship through history and you'll find that they had a state religion they declared some kind of religion which was the thing that's what you all had to be the Nazis did it the communists did it the Romans did it the Greeks did it as far back as you can go you'll find any apostate state also has an apostate religion an unholy marriage of church and state so this beast continues to support the mother of prostitutes more powerfully than any who've gone before him. And the angel continues his explanation, the ten horns you saw are ten kings who've not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. So the beast has ten underlings. They're called kings in the Bible because that's the language the Bible uses. It was written 2,000 years ago. Today it could be prime ministers, presidents, who knows. Or they may actually be set up as kings. We don't know. But the point is, they are rulers with political authority, and they work for the beast. They work for the apostate state. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. So they're only here to do one job, and that is stated in verse 14, they will wage war against the Lamb, Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. But the Lamb will triumph over them because He is King of kings and Lord of lords. I love how simply the angel puts it there, they will lose because He's the King of kings. Like, there's no question in his mind, no doubt whatsoever. They'll lose, because he's the king of kings. And he with him will be his faithful followers. They can't win. And this is the point where I have to get a little bit uncomfortable with you. I'm afraid this is bad news for anyone who is here today, or who is listening online, who is not part of the family of Jesus Christ. If you find yourself today separate from him, not part of his family, not having um, accepted his free gift of salvation, then you will lose, just like these ten kings, because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. If you are with him, on the other hand, as I hope most of us are, you will share in all the joy and peace of his ultimate victory over death and evil and pain. But take some time today to consider whose side you're on. You really want to be on the winning side of this war. The angel wraps up his speech by explaining the waters in the last few verses there. Verse 15, the waters where the great prostitute is sitting are the peoples, the multitudes, the nations, the languages, all the peoples of the earth have been seduced by the great harlot, this great false religion of pleasure at any cost. Look after yourself. Don't worry about God. Spend all that time watching TV, playing games, surfing Reddit for hours. Don't spend it in your Bible. Look after yourself. You deserve it. Go to that other church. Check out what the Muslims have got. Hey, maybe they are a religion of peace. Check out what Buddhism is all about. Yeah, there's good stuff there. Pick and choose what works for you. False religion. Seducing you away from God. Anyone that finds himself in that camp is on a very dangerous path. This beast, this great, powerful, socio-political empire, ends up betraying his unholy bride. That's the last part here. The beast and the ten horns you saw, verse 16, will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin, leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. They will take her resources. They will defame, deface, destroy her wealth and leave her naked and ruined. Finally exposed as the manipulative lying butcher drunk on the blood of God's faithful that she is, God will use her own vile supporters, her own false husband, this apostate state, to ultimately destroy her. This unholy marriage of false church and false state will fail. Greed, gluttony, selfish ambition, it'll drive them apart, and they will grow to hate each other. Babylon the Great, the mother of prostitutes, will fall. Any false religion that seduces us away from God will ultimately fall, because he is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. God's word will be complete. So in conclusion, on the surface, Revelation 17 can seem to be a weird picture with an inadequate explanation. We can start to get really stuck in rabbit holes and go, sorry rabbit trails um and try to think oh what does this mean who is this referring to and throughout history the christian church has tried to do that has tried to pick and choose who they think individual passages are referring to and up until now everyone's been wrong (laughs) because it still hasn't happened a lot of this so i think this is ultimately a reminder god is in total control see that there at the end for god has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purposes Verse 17, by agreeing to hand over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled. God is never surprised, he is always ready, and he always wins. If you're not on the right side of God, if you've deliberately ignored or rejected him, you will lose. If that's where you are today, please do business with God. Please have a chat with him. You have been deceived by the great false worldview that spans time finds its origin in the pride of satan himself if you're away from god you need to rectify that so i'd beg you turn to jesus the lamb of god who takes away the sins of the world he created you he loves you he's holding out his hand to anyone willing to turn if you're listening online if you're here today and you don't know jesus fix that today talk to me talk to adrian talk to any of the leaders here we'd love to explain more of what that means don't be a deceived loser join the winning team and look forward to the return of the king king jesus thank you